Lord, you are calling our names. You know our names, and you know us each deeply. You know our deep joys and our deep pains, the ones that are in our heart today and the ones from the past. And as we hear your word, may we hear your voice calling our names within it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So since January, we have been reading through the Pentateuch together in the Community Bible Experience. And today we begin the book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Pentateuch. We've already gone through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, if you made it through this last week. Congratulations. Might have been the most challenging week. And now we're on Numbers. Numbers is an account of God's people in the wilderness. And in fact, the Hebrew name isn't Numbers. Numbers is the English name. The Hebrew name is Ba Midbar, which means in the wilderness. So if you felt a little trepidation about reading a book called Numbers, feel it no more. In fact, if you want to write in your Bible, in the wilderness, beside Numbers, I invite you to do that if it will help you, just not in the Pew Bible. So sometimes, as you read numbers, it might seem a little piecemeal, kind of like a scrapbook. And I invite you to think of this book as a scrapbook. It is a scrapbook of a journey. It begins with a census, counting the men who are old enough to serve in the army, kind of like counting everyone on a bus before you go on a trip if you only counted the men over age 20. And it's because of the census and the one at the end of, toward the end of the book that the English name is Numbers. But there are also other things. There's instructions from God about how to set up the camp, who camps next to who and where. And then there's another census of the priests, instructions for how to pack up and move the holy Bible, the holy items of the tabernacle. And then there are more laws and liturgies and a list of all the offerings that were given at the dedication of the tabernacle, sort of like a, a list of memorials a church might have. And we learned that the Israelites celebrated Passover and how the cloud came down and covered the tabernacle and then it lifted up when it was time to go. And just like a good scrapbook, this scrapbook includes stories. They start a little bit later in the book, about chapter 11, and honestly, they're not nice stories. Many of them are not the stories the children are going to learn in Sunday school. They're not the stories featured in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because things start to go downhill. The people start to complain. And God responds. God sends fire around the camp. When the people complain about the food, God sends food and everyone eats it and gets food poisoning. And then comes chapter 12, our story for today. So I invite you to listen as I share the story from the book that we love, Numbers chapter 12. While they were at Hezerot, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman he had married. For he had indeed married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us too? And the Lord heard it. 
Now, the man Moses was very humble. He was more humble than anyone who walked the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. And then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called forth Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward and he said, hear my words. When there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses, for he is entrusted with all of my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled, and he departed. And when the cloud went away from over the tent, Miriam had become leprous, as white as snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam and saw that she was leprous. And then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, do not punish her for a sin we have so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like one half-born whose flesh is half decayed when it comes out of its mother's womb. And Moses said, Oh, God, heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, if her father had but spat in her face, would she not bear her shame for seven days? Let her then be cast out of the camp for seven days, and after that she may return again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp for seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam had been brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hezerot, and camped in the wilderness of Paran. The word of the Lord. So, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' siblings, who are leaders in their own right, start to complain about Moses' leadership under the guise of grumbling about his Cushite, which is sometimes translated Ethiopian wife. Doesn't God speak through us? Is Moses the only ordained leader? But the fact is, Aaron is a leader. He's the high priest. In Leviticus, we just read about the fancy priest garment God designed for him to wear, the one with the precious stones on the chest and shoulders, made of fine blue linen. It has a golden part around his head that reads, holy to the Lord. Aaron is the main priest. He is the spiritual leader of the community. And Miriam, too, she's a leader. We've read about her, how in Exodus she helps baby Moses to safety, how she leads the women in song after the children of Israel cross the Red Sea. Miriam and Aaron are listed in Micah 6.4 as the three people. They're, they're listed with Moses in Micah 6.4 as the three people who lead the children of Israel out of the house of slavery. They are people with privilege and authority. But still they complain. And God hears them. 
And just like a parent who has heard the children colluding behind the couch, God calls them out on the carpet. God calls them to the tabernacle, the tent in the middle of the camp where God's presence is strong, and God comes down in the cloud and stands before them. Now, this is the middle of the camp, and you know how word spreads. And though no one can see because the tabernacle is surrounded by curtains, everyone can see the cloud descend. And we can imagine that a hush may have come over the entire camp. And God calls Aaron and Miriam, and they step forward. And God speaks directly to them. If there is a prophet of God among you, I make myself known to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But I don't do it that way with my servant Moses. He has the run of my entire house. I speak to him intimately, in person, in plain talk, no riddles. He ponders the very form of God. So why did you show no reverence or respect in speaking against my servant, against Moses? And God burns with anger and departs. And they're left standing there in the shock of God's word. But their shock worsens when they see Miriam's skin. It's white and flaky. Some scholars believe it's, it's a really bad case of eczema because of how it's described. And, and then Aaron makes it worse in what he says about her. Don't let her be like a stillborn infant with her flesh half eaten, half decayed. Things are bad. Things are bad for Aaron and Miriam. This isn't the kind of stuff we usually put in scrapbooks. We like the good stuff. The photo of when we climbed to the highest point in Georgia. We like that menu from the 1950s diner. The ticket stubs from U2 Octune Baby concert. We like the toddler photos. The graduation tassel. The pressed daisy from that day we went to the gardens on our first date. This is the stuff we like. It's the stuff that brings back the good memories, the times of success, the time of love and fellowship, the nostalgia. But what if we made honest scrapbooks? Scrapbooks that told the whole story of our lives, not just the rosy parts. Scrapbooks that didn't only contain a valentine from grandma when we were five or that held photos of our 70 family members smiling at a family reunion but that also included a reminder of that college geography class you failed because you couldn't make it on time at 8 a.m. every morning. Scrapbooks that included a divorce certificate, that bank statement right before you filed for bankruptcy, the email you sent someone in anger, the teabag wrapper from that time you were up all night crying, a diagnosis from the doctor of a mental illness, an ultrasound of a fetus that stopped developing. Some of us might consider our scrapbook our online presence as we've moved away from paper. This presence, this true scrapbook, might include photos of our kids fighting, frequent Google terms, that unfortunate Facebook conversation with Uncle Kevin. Focusing on the bad stuff is weird. It goes against our grain. Most of us are Americans, and we have a national holiday de dedicated to giving thanks, to celebrating the good. 
When we ask someone how they are, it's really a formality. It's strange if they say, ah, things are pretty bad right now, thank you. I have this constant restless feeling and I've been resentful of my roommate. Plus, my nieces are incredibly annoying and I have constant heartburn. No one wants to hear these things. <laughs> and, and, and we want to have friends, so we edit them out. Maybe we write them in a journal or share them with a counselor or a spiritual director. We curate our lives, not just because we like nice things, but because we want friends. And as Christians, we want the same. These bad stories where God doesn't do nice things, where God punishes the sister and not the brother, they bother us. Why is this in our scrapbook of faith? Let's turn the page real fast and get on with a big story, the part where it says love a lot. This part is embarrassing. It's so out in the open, and, and we don't want people to see it. There are visitors in church. We don't want people to see it like we don't want people to see the mold on our bread, the fungus on our toes, the gray hairs, the search history, the judgment, the anger, the fear, the resentment, the shame. And so we throw the bread away. We put on socks. We dye our hair and we hide. We tear up the bad report card. We delete the angry email. We scrub our search histories and we try to forget. But there's something about these bad stories in numbers. There's a reason the community kept telling them. And there's a reason God's spirit compelled them to be written down. And the reason is, God is there. God isn't away on a business trip when Miriam and, Moses and Aaron start talking smack about Moses. God hears them. And God responds immediately. Like a mad mom, God calls them to the tent of meeting. Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And then Miriam and Aaron kind of get what they ask, what they ask for because God does speak to them, and it is not in riddles. God speaks to them, but not in the way they may have hoped. God speaks to them in a fiery way. God defends the leader he had ordained, and then God interacts with Miriam. She gets this skin condition making her unclean, and she has to spend time out in the wilderness alone. A royal time out, if you will. We could say that God disciplines her. Miriam and Aaron have crossed the boundary God made. They have reacted in jealousy, and we may note in, race, in racism by complaining against Moses' wife. And it may bother us that Miriam and Aaron don't receive the same consequence. It seems unfair, but God isn't fair. God is just. And as a just and loving parent, God responds differently to each of God's children. I wonder if Miriam would have pondered this as she wandered in the wilderness alone for a week. Maybe she needed this time to remember God's work in her life, to remember her past, and to meditate on the presence of God with her community, the privilege it was to be part of God's people. Would she have looked for something to put in her scrapbook to remind her of this time? A piece of tumbleweed, maybe, or a snakeskin? 
This remembrance of discipline would go next to some pretty cool stuff in Miriam's scrapbook, stuff that showed God's presence and action in her life. There would be, if there were cameras, there would be a photo of Pharaoh's daughter holding her adopted baby, Moses, and the child's nurse, Moses' biological mother, standing in the left corner. This was something Miriam did, God did through Miriam. It was a, an inspired moment. Maybe there would be a scrap of papyrus with the lyrics to the song of victory she sang. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider fell into the sea. That was her song of victory. The fact is, God had been very present in her life. And even in this time out, God is present. When you learn about parenting, and I've only been parenting for six and a half years, so many of you have far much more experience than I do, you learn about two extremes. You learn about authoritarian parenting or helicopter parenting and laissez-faire or permissive parenting. God is neither. God does not force our hands. God does not make us go to practice from three to five every day and correct us on each math problem. God does not send us 15 texts to remind us to clean our room. We are free to choose. But neither is God out of town when we invite the entire senior class over for a party. God is present. God cares and knows and hears. God hears us when we rejoice, and God hears us when we complain. God does not run away. He doesn't run away from our sin. He's not overwhelmed by our complaints. He responds. He comes down. He comes down in the cloud. He comes down incarnate in Jesus Christ. He comes down as the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and he interacts with us. He responds. And so God is near to these bad scrapbook pages and these failures and sins. Our moments of fear and shame. God has not left the building. God is there. And whether these bad pages are kind of our fault because we did something sinful or stupid, or whether it's discipline like Miriam experienced, or whether it's a consequence of living in a sinful fallen world, we can know that God is with us. Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, God with us. And this is the good news. God is present. Imagine the story of Numbers 12 without the presence of God. Miriam and Aaron could grumble. Perhaps that would have led to a rebellion and all God's people would have been scattered or killed through infighting. God's response to Miriam is a way of preserving God's people and her discipline wasn't completely individual. It affected everyone because the children of Israel had to wait for her. Perhaps they needed to pause too. They needed to reset. They needed to worship. And then they are reunited and the journey continues. When I write a sermon, often I will look for a story. And I, I would have looked for a story, I was looking for a story about how um, God is present in our bad scrapbook pages. But as I pondered this, I thought, we all have our own stories. We all have our own bad scrapbook pages, if you will. The part that you hold together when you're showing it to someone or telling someone about your life. I don't want you to know. 
I don't want you to see this pain or this stupid thing or this sin. So today we're going to take a time of silence together to look at those scrapbook pages in our mind and to prayerfully reflect and ask the Spirit, God, where are you there? This isn't a time to judge your behavior or to feel guilt for your sin. This is a time to wonder and invite God's Spirit to speak into those moments of your life. Go back to that time and listen and wait. God was there with you then, just like God is here with us now. Let's pray and then we'll observe a few moments of the discipline of silence together. Jesus, you know our lives. You know every page. During this time, we invite your spirit to speak into our hearts, to show us your presence in those times so that our response will not be one of complaint or sadness or shame or fear, but of a renewed appreciation for who you are and how you work. Amen.